I was a bit of a nerd growing up. I uh, got addicted to playing computer games. I was a pro gamer at one point. Uh, I was sponsored. Was no like, way! Yeah, it was full on. You look at people and how they've done businesses, they've got like five or six failures. Koala's my eighth business, um, so I've had seven failures. Yeah, we did our first million in 79 days, and that was just the wow. craziest 79 days of my life. We're not driven by money at all. We're yeah. just driven by making a difference. So we've um, just passed the million dollar um, mark of donations to wildlife courses. If you're not offending people by 11 a.m., you're not doing marketing right. <laughs> Um, <laughs> nice. which, which is very controversial. <laughs> Don't ask for permission, ask for forgiveness. Billboards get pulled down, ads get pulled, but like in the end, by that time we've done our damage. Welcome to the Seize the Yay podcast. Busy and happy are not the same thing. We too rarely question what makes the heart sing. We work, then we rest, but rarely we play and often don't realise there's more than one way. So this is a platform to hear and explore the stories of those who found lives they adore. The good, bad and ugly, the best and worst day will bear all the facets of seizing your yay. I'm Sarah Holloway, or Spoonful of Sarah, a lawyer turned entrepreneur who swapped the suits and heels to co-found Matcha Maiden and Matcha Milk Bar. Seize the Yay is a series of conversations on finding a life you love and exploring the self-doubt, challenge, joy, and fulfillment along the way. I know they say you don't have to reinvent the wheel, but Danny Milham has shown that reinvention can be an incredible platform for success. Danny and co-founder Mitch Taylor have reinvented the mattress with their booming business Koala, which has skyrocketed to a multi-million dollar empire and disrupted an age-old, largely uninteresting industry. If you're the seven people in Australia who haven't seen their ads yet, they developed their own foam that prevents you from feeling your partner's movements in bed. I know, best invention ever! The mattresses can be shipped to anywhere in Australia within four hours and are now the highest reviewed mattresses in Australia. Starting with just a mattress, the vision for Koala was always a furniture brand with tallest five-minute assembly furniture delivered in four hours, and they have an exciting, innovative pipeline of furniture products ahead. They are also a social good business in that they adopt koalas for every mattress sold and turtles for every sofa they sell with conservation projects around Australia. While some grow into their entrepreneurial selves, Danny has always had a business brain. Born in laid-back Byron, he swapped the boardies and surf life for computers and tech, finding his love for tech and business as young as 13 years old when he founded his first startup. He also launched a successful app, his own digital agency, has a computer science degree and was poached by prestigious agency Ogilvy before his koala journey. And this was all by the age of 25. What an absolute legend. So excited to have him here to pick his brains. Welcome, Danny. Thank you so much for having me in your beautiful home. We have an amazing view of Rose Bay. And um, if you can hear the waves in the background, I thought that would lull us into this really nice kind of (laughs) relaxed day. (laughs) So being such an incredibly successful entrepreneur, I would love to start with a little icebreaker to remind people that you're a normal human, super down to earth and cut straight through, you know, the glossy surface that I think the media and social media can really portray. So... What is something super normal about you? Um, probably one of the most normal things is that I went to a very kind of normal high school, um, public school, Mullumbimby High, <laughs> it's West Byron Bay. It's yeah, only yeah. known for Iggy years earlier. Oh, oh, yeah. oh my gosh, yeah. nice. This is probably the only good thing that came out of Mullumbimby. <laughs> <laughs> and Danny Milham, of course. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> and we also have some inanimate objects in your home that have names. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, next to me is, is uh, my vacuum cleaner called Jose. Uh, <laughs> it's a robot vacuum cleaner. <laughs> So he cleans good. the house when we're gone. So. Oh, yeah, nice. He's just sitting there chilling. Yeah. And I've got a fan called Peter. I love it. Yeah. It's a French fan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, you know, you wouldn't have anything other than a French fan, <laughs> would you? <laughs> so tell us about your young self. I always start with way TA. So how did you get here? Everything, you know, leading up to this success story that we have now. So you're a Byron boy. And Byron isn't exactly a tech hub or, you know, a hub for for IT and and software businesses. So what was young Danny like and how did you get into that? You know, were you cool at school or were you already an IT tech nerd at school? And what were your first jobs? Like, did you work at Maccas or? (laughs) What's good, there's no Maccas in Byron. Yeah, this is true. Um, so I grew up in a, a cosmetic manufacturing family. So my dad started a cosmetic manufacturing business about 30 years ago. Wow. So I was in the warehouse or in the factory at the young age of like 11 or 12, helping dad do the business. He actually bought my first business for me when I was 13. 
Uh, oh it was a bath gosh. bomb business. Uh, this is before the GFC and bath bombs got wiped out. Um, just a sad, sad era. But yeah, so he, he bought that for me and my brother to basically teach us how to do business. Um, and we had to spend late nights making bath bombs um, and then try and sell them at markets. And it was good. It was a good lesson of how to hate your brother very quickly, <laughs> um, how to fight with your brother very quickly. Nice. But yes, but watching dad kind of grow up and do, do different um, businesses, I, I kind of had that urge. And I was a bit of a nerd growing up. I uh, got addicted to playing um, computer games. Uh, I, was I actually, heard you were a gamer. Yeah, I was. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, was a bit, I was a pro gamer at one point. Uh, I was sponsored. No like, way. Yeah, it was full on. Um, this is before gaming was cool. I was going to say, that's yeah. like ahead of the time. Yeah, it was real nerdy back then. I mean... <laughs> it's no, still pretty nerdy. It's still pretty nerdy. Um, <laughs> but back then, it was very frowned upon. So yeah, I did that throughout school and then started like building gaming computers and then selling them to friends and then like got into like kind of IT that way and then did that. Did my own web agency when I was 16, so doing like e-commerce websites. That's when I kind of got into e-commerce and then did that for a few years. And then, yeah, it wasn't really until I went to uni that I did computer science and then got really into more like more software. But yeah, growing up in Byron, there wasn't many people doing anything in software. There was like the one or two. So I went to university in Brisbane. Uh, I was up there on a, on a rugby contract. Oh, amazing. So you fitted in some non-nerdy yeah, <laughs> some job non-nerdy stuff, stuff as well. Yeah, but then I broke my back playing rugby. So <gasps> then I went straight back into the nerdy stuff, <laughs> which you is good. You broke your back? Yeah, I did it when I was 21. Oh, um, my gosh. Yeah, it was quite a bad break. But it was kind of a good, I think it's a blessing in disguise because I probably would have stayed playing rugby. Yeah. But now yeah, I could do more nerdy stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just allowed you to release the inner nerd. Yeah, it did, it did. <laughs> and let it's, it flourish. I couldn't exercise for two years when I did it. So I was like, oh, oh back to the computer. So <laughs> yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, back to the computer. Yeah. <laughs> was it really broken? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was. <laughs> I got scared. So it's so cool because I think uh, a lot of people have, you know, the entrepreneurial story of, no, I didn't ever know what I wanted to do and I just kind of fell into it. But mm. it seems like it's really been you know, in your DNA since, since you were young and you've had multiple businesses since then. But you've also actually had a job in between the businesses, which I think is super interesting because you've seen both sides and been able to see, you know, whether you can live agency life. Did you always know that you would end up in business or did you think when you were younger that they were just sort of experiments that you were going to do? You know, how did, how did your business person come out? Yeah, I, th- I always kind of looked at it as... It's just a numbers game. Um, you look at people and how they've done businesses, they've got like five or six failures. Koala's my eighth business, um, so I've had seven failures or six. six <laughs> I don't know failures. about failures. Yeah, failures, just yeah. businesses that haven't taken off. Yeah. And I, I was always destined to always do my own, own, own businesses. The only reason I went and worked for Ogilvy, uh, worked for a management consulting firm that got acquired by Ogilvy, mm-hmm. was one of my startups I did. Uh, it was an iPhone app. Uh, I ended up getting sued by my investors and went to court for a year and a half and no. they sued my family, they sued my friends. Oh, so it was gosh. a massive nightmare. And after that, I kind of lost the urge to get to do startups. Yeah. And then I got a- approached by a management consulting firm who got acquired by Ogilvy. That was a fun two years. We worked on like huge accounts like KFC, 7-Eleven, BMW. I headed up their creative technologist um, kind of area and yeah, it was fun. It was a fun two years, very stressful. We flew to Melbourne, I think, every every week for eight months or something oh, so wow. but i've just after time i just got over it and wanted to go back out and do my own thing yeah it's it was a good experience but i really liked it uh, yeah it kind of made, made me a bit more corporate um yeah. <laughs> polished you off yeah a little bit i think it was good <laughs> <laughs> we all need that i also think it shows you you know like having corporate experience and running your own business it shows you what you can appreciate from both sides because otherwise the grass is always greener yeah 100 yeah. um, but well, i can imagine it would be nice to just like have a wage and yeah, have yeah. some structure yeah. for a little while yeah, and then yeah. have a weekend yeah and with each of your businesses along the way did they feel like stepping stones like did you see them as a stepping stone or did you think they might be the one um I mean, the iPhone app one I did, I thought it was the one. Um, yeah, okay. yeah, I raised a lot of money, went overseas. Like, yeah, it was kind of like Snapchat before Snapchat, and I thought it was gonna, oh, it was gonna yeah. make make me. But after that, it was a hard reality, a harsh reality. It's kind of like just hit me in the face. But I think I have all been stepping stones from like doing a web agency, with e- working with e-commerce stores to have a, had a tree planting business, or still have a tree planting business where we plant trees all around the world. Um, so we're, we're an API that connects charities and online stores. Um, which allows any online store to be a social good business by planting one or two or three trees per per product, which kind of when I started that around four years ago, really kind of made me fall in love with social good businesses and doing um, social social kind of activities um, along with selling just general business, Mm. which should be, I I think, a general practice for all businesses. And since then, I've always had an urge to 
every business from that has had a social good element, whether it be planting trees or adopting koalas or yeah. turtles or I don't know where to <laughs> next. Um, but yeah, so that, that, they have been stepping stones, yeah. Yeah, that's so cool that to hear that, you know, you do have multiple iterations of your business self and your entrepreneurial life before you get to the one. Like I think everyone thinks you've got to make it the first time and but every single experience teaches you something along the way and forms who you ultimately become. Yeah. And, and we're also impatient, you know, we're like, yeah, they're, not, the they're all the same as well from an iPhone app to I did a coffee company for a while, which is quite funny. And then <laughs> before Koala, I did a skincare business, Biome-based skincare. Um, yes, that's right. So yeah, I know a lot, of, like surprisingly know a lot about growing up in a cosmetic fam- yeah. Um, family, but yeah, that was funny doing like door knocking at retail stores, trying to sell skincare, <laughs> like just being really ingrained, doing all the social posts, which if you look at it, it's all very girly posts. Um, yeah, getting your feminine voice yeah, on. Yeah, <laughs> to, to, to selling mattresses. <laughs> so yeah, it's a bit of a jump. Um, but yeah, we all learn. So that is one of the coolest things about Koala, which is what has come out to be the one and is, you know, a definition of game changer in an industry that's typically not that interesting and not that exciting. You've really, really shaken things up with this huge business. And it's mattresses. Like it's not, you know, looking at your pathway, you wouldn't kind of think that's the next logical progression. Plus you do for every, if anyone hasn't heard this, this is the coolest part of the business. For every mattress sold, Koala adopts an actual Koala, which is the coolest thing in the whole entire world. But how did that come about? Like I think I've heard you say before that you guys aren't a mattress company. You're a tech company or a software company that's just delivering a super, super efficient service and the product is happens to be mattresses, which is so cool because I think so many businesses reverse engineer that and are like, I fell into this because I found a product that I love personally, whereas you were the other way around. Mm. So how did that come about? How mattresses and, and why koalas? Did it start from a want to adopt a koala per product or how did that all come about? <laughs> Yeah, so it was um, <laughs> around the time when I was working for Ovi, uh, Mitch, who's my co-founder, was, was back in Byron and he had an online sofa business and we were kind of the only two guys in Byron Bay who, who were doing like kind of businesses or from Byron. So I started helping, helping him with his marketing and his tech and I redid his website and just with like the amount of stuff that I knew and applying it to his business, we were getting an amazing amount of five stars and what, what his business was doing that was different was just doing one to three day delivery. Um, so just buying from China and selling one to three days and just that small shift in the delivery experience because if you've ever bought a sofa online it only takes what 14 weeks mm. in Australia because um, they all come from China no one keeps stock so we're just keeping stock uh, and then doing one to three day, day delivery and people were giving us five stars purely on the basis of the experience rather than the product and then so we really learned that like it's not really about the product I mean it is in the end but people the experience is the experience with you so we looked at that further we looked at like all right, what are other businesses out there doing that's kind of in this space, in sofas or in furniture? And we really kind of fell in love with furniture. We thought that <laughs> the Australian furniture industry is just like, it's just broken. Um, there's only one real winner at the currently, and that's Ikea. Um, mm. And Ikea has no competitors. So you look at Ikea and what it is, it is as a business, and it's a convenience business. It sells convenience. So when you go to Ikea, you know you're going to get something because they have your style, you know they're going to be in stock because they're always in stock. Mm. And you just you, you have no doubt in your mind, whereas you go online and you try and shop online and you're like, oh, will they have my style? Will they have my stock? So we looked at that and we looked at like kind of all, all of some of the flaws in their business. And they're such an amazing business, but it's all the way up to the front door. Uh, as soon as you leave IKEA, okay, you got to pack it in your car, you got to hire a car, you got to <laughs> yes. drive an hour and a half out of the city to get to the IKEA first. Then you go drive at home, and then the fun happens when you get home, the unboxing experience. Um, <laughs> Nearly broke our relationship more than everyone, a couple of times. <laughs> I think it's, it's crazy. And it's, it's interesting because you look at Apple and other businesses who, who kind of like they've reinvented the unboxing experiences. Like there's, there's YouTube channels that are about unboxing experiences. Um, then IKEA just can't really catch up because it's the way the business is built. Mm. So we thought if we just focus on that area, on, on the speed of delivery, uh, the unboxing experience, um, and then focus on furniture – we knew we had like a winner. So we always wanted to do furniture. We never really wanted to start with a mattress, but we had to start with a product. Um, so we like looked at all the different categories that we're going to enter and saw that mattresses was the one industry where it was the worst. Like there was just the worst experience. So yeah, we kind of, that's how we kind of started with, with mattresses. And we thought, all right, let's just scale up one product like straight wide and get to a mass scale and then launch all the other categories, which we're doing at the moment. Yeah. And yeah, it's, that's kind of where we started on the product side. And the reason we got to Koala, uh, the actual animal, is that... From my previous business, um, planting trees and donating water, we always, we always wanted to do something different uh, for Koala. Uh, well, before it was called Koala, <laughs> furniture brand. Yeah. Um, and we wanted to adopt an animal and we wanted to do something on home, on, on home soil. And then we looked at what animals and it was just like, 
I think we'll, I think we're on the beach when we did it, and we'll like talk to each other, and we're thinking like, what animal should we adopt in Australia? Uh, as we're starting with mattresses, and koalas sleep eighteen hours a day. They're oh, cute and yeah, cuddly. It was just perfect. And we're like, look, this is absolutely perfect. So that's how we kind of got to the name. And then we, that, the next challenge was like finding a partner who to work with. And yeah, we really wanted to be an Australian iconic brand. Like our vision is to be that. I mean, there's not very many strong consumer Australian brands besides like Qantas. Mm. Forrester's isn't really Australian anymore. Um, and just be known for our cheeky kind of branding and our advertising. <laughs> and like Koala is a perfect name for us, especially throughout Asia. Um, yeah. It just works so well. Yeah. And you've had such incredible success since then. I think you guys took 13 mil in your first year, which I think was your goal anyway. Like, I love how you just had ambitious goals right from the beginning. You were like, no, this is what we want to hit. And how did you manage that scale-up process? Like, you started off with an idea, um, obviously did extensive research on an industry that you had no former background in or connection to. How did you manage going from, you know, nil to that? I think one of the things that aspiring business owners always want to know about isn't the bit where you are now, even though that's what I want to know about yeah. because I think that's so cool. But it's that very beginning part where you have an idea and you've got to go from nil to something. What are the first steps that you put in place? And then when it does start to grow, if you want to get from zero to 13 mil in one year in an industry that's never had that kind of growth before, what are the steps that happen along the way? And how do you build out your team? And how do you go from two people to even logistically, that's a huge, huge thing. Your delivery it's a mattress anywhere in Australia in four hours. Capital is that right? cities, yeah. Capital cities. Yeah, which is in itself like never really before seen in any kind of industry consistently. <laughs> How do you achieve that? What are the, the processes and strategies you do to do those things? So I think one of the things that me and Mitch, how we did so well, I think is just, we're really good friends. So we grew up, like we've known each other for 13 years. He was my rugby coach. <clears throat> so we can spend a lot of time together. And that's a big thing is spending a lot of time with your co-founder. And when we started, when we thought about the idea, I could straight away quit my job, move back um, home to Byron. Uh, and then we ended up driving down to Sydney three times in one week just with a mattress, a bit of foam, going to all the, all the manufacturers, <laughs> going, guys, like, and they just thought we were idiots. Like, I remember yeah. going to the, some of the manufacturers and like, you guys, this isn't going to work. Like, you're an idiot. Um, and now we're the, one of the largest buyers of foam in Australia. Now we have, our buying power is like larger than all than combined. But that is, um, must be cre- so satisfying. It is, it is, it is. <laughs> the tables have turned. But yeah, when we started, we were just fully committed. So then we both moved down to, <clears throat> to Sydney, slept in the same room together for six months, <laughs> like spent every single day together, yeah. did everything ourselves. So we kind of had no money when we first started. So we said we were going to do everything ourselves just so we know how to do it. So... I've got a design background, so I did all the branding, which did all the operations, I did the website. We got in there, we did all the deliveries ourselves because we had four-hour delivery. And when we first launched, no one could do four-hour delivery for us, so we had to do it ourselves. Yeah, you're like, we'll just drive there yeah. in four hours. So we packed up Mitch's car with five mattresses at a time. He was driving around. I was on the laptop doing uh, on customer service, doing marketing, answering phone calls. <laughs> like, and we're just a team, and we yeah. just spent every day together. Um, we got drunk most, almost every night just yeah, nice. to, get, to get through it. <laughs> <laughs> um, do we got to do? <laughs> you, you have to, yeah. And um, it's really funny, like our first video we did, our first TVC was like, it's all my friends and it's just like, it was so, like we didn't have boxes ready, so we spray and painted boxes white and used stickers on it. Like we faked it till we made it. Like the best example of that ever. Yeah. Um, we put boxes out in front of people's houses and took photos and said, well, we were shipping, we weren't shipping. <laughs> Like we did every trick of the trade, yeah. we did, we did. But yeah, it was basically once we kind of got our kind of base of like we knew how everything worked and we finally got kind of our processes in place, it was just, it's a really big kind of data play uh, and then like forecasting how much you need, especially in terms of marketing. My previous role at Ogilvy uh, was very focused on data, it was data at Ogilvy. So um, the marketing, the scalability of that was like, we kind of had that down pat. It was just we couldn't make enough mattresses in time. And every week we ran out of stock, have to call everyone and say, sorry, we're getting new shipment next week. And it was painful the first few months, mm. um, very painful. Um, I think, yeah, we did our first million in 79 days and that was just the wow. craziest 79 days of my life. Uh, I still think I was drunk every single day. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> nice. Just because we did, the, you would have seen the wine glass video. So, yeah, yeah, I was just about to say for anyone who hasn't actually seen Koala Mattresses, even though it has been more about the experience rather than the product, the product in itself is also a, an incredibly innovative design that hasn't been done before. And uh, the idea is that the foam is designed so that you don't feel the movements of your partner. So tell us about the campaign. <laughs> yeah, so um, to show off the, like, the no structure of our mattress and the, 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 the zero disturbance, we actually didn't, we filmed this at our first photo shoot and not even thinking it would be like kind of a campaign. 
And it wasn't until like two weeks in that we were like, oh, we should probably use that wine glass video that we, we took the other day. I'm like, oh, yeah, let's use it. And I'm like, all right, let's do it properly, but. So we, we posted it unbranded um, on Reddit, Imgur, 9gag, um, a lot of different kind of image sharing platforms. Um, and we found out when the best time was to post them, um, put no branding behind it because it wouldn't have gone viral. Uh, and then just waited, and then it went viral. It had Eight million views in three days. Like then we then we basically uh, put the ad on Facebook and targeted all those platforms and people who follow those platforms uh, with our logo in and saying, "Ha ha, it's us." Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that that worked. Like that was crazy. And the best thing about that was just like getting back to people's comments and stuff. And um, but and it was crazy. Their for, response. Yeah, for two people, it was just me, and Mitch, doing it. It was crazy. It was absolute. It was a, it was a very, 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 very fast paced uh, seventy nine days. <laughs> yeah. And we, we were renovating our office at the same time. Oh we my had gosh. All our friends helping us. We had to like pack all the. We gave a little pouch with a, a little teddy, uh, a booklet, uh, and instructions, and a cutter. And we had to pack them individually. So when we scaled up to a million, we had to pack a million. Like it was crazy. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I had no social life around that time. Yeah, so. no, crazy, which is, you know, part of the, yeah, the trade-off. The fun, yeah. <laughs> so was that part of the design that you would be able to actually put a glass of wine on one side and then someone could jump? Like, did that, was that a testing? Yeah, no, it was, but we just didn't think it would, like, the market would react so well. We didn't think people would like it so much. But yeah. then it just kicked off a range of all our competitors doing it with three glasses, with tennis ball. Like, it just became like flogging a dead horse, which you kind of say, and we always got rid of it. So now you wouldn't see any of our marketing with it because we, we want to be known more than just a wine glass business. And we want to be known as a furniture business, not a mattress business. So yeah, yeah. we try to shy away from it. Yeah. Uh, but it is cool that you did start with one product because what we were talking about just before we started recording was the fact that when you get started, you can get so put off by focusing too broadly yep. or you can sink yourself before you've actually gotten started yep. and you do need to start with like a singular focus so how did you decide what to start with how did you decide you know i think we do get too focused on risk and we do get too focused on like having everything perfect and if you mm. if your ultimate goal is to be a furniture business we get so impatient you want yeah. to start with a furniture business yeah yeah how did you scale that back and how did you manage your risk and fear and all that kind of stuff with just starting like i'm sure you don't set out going i want to be one of the richest people in australia with the <laughs> iconic australian brand right now you know that's not how it starts you just kind of have to block out all the risk and just go for it how was that process for you guys well for us we we had some very crazy ambitions around like our delivery experience so four-hour delivery australia-wide is, is, is quite quite difficult um <laughs> and just kind of the scale we, we wanted to grow we wanted to our, our biggest like philosophy is like if you just do one thing right and get that done then you can move on and we do that across everything in our business and when we launched, when we couldn't find a platform that allowed us to do for our delivery, I was like, hey, let's just build our own platform. So my background being, being in engineering, I, I, I built this kind of platform called Gumleaf, which is our logistics and fulfillment platform, which now delivers our mattresses four hours across Australia or in Japan. It, like, it basically is one of the reasons we grew so fast. It handles all our back-of-house processes and everything. And we knew we couldn't scale without that being built, mm. and that wasn't built first so when i always say that we're a tech business that sell a mattress so we actually kind of are we build a lot of tech ourselves we have like a very strong engineering team a massive engineering team and we have people approaching us all the time to try and use this platform as well because it seamlessly removes all the touch points from people ordering right through the last mile delivery mm. um i was going to say you could apply it to anything now yeah and we're, we're going to probably productize it next year but going back to like choosing the one product we wanted to focus more on how we sold that product than actually the product itself mm -hmm. and you can't start with launching 16 products and yeah we have a warehouse in every capital city so you basically you have to have 16 versions of that product in every capital city so like <laughs> we didn't have enough money to do it first yeah and yeah the money thing was a big, a big kind of um barrier to that we didn't, didn't start with much money so um we can only launch launch with one product because we had to put Every, them in every warehouse so that was a big factor but yeah it was more that we wanted to get everything right until like our business processes and everything and now we can just launch products with these yeah. um, and launch markets with these we've, we've, we've launched into four markets since launching and we can just keep doing it now because Gumleaf and our, our, all the technology we built just basically just plugs and plays into different 3PLs and, and, and delivery companies yeah amazing and one of the other things that we were talking about just before is that you haven't really done the PR publicity advertising thing conventionally either which is really cool so once you do get you know, it's one thing to have an amazing game-changing idea that does answer a big gap in the market, but another thing to actually communicate that to the audiences out there that you want. And you've had some amazing ads, like amazing, amazing IKEA ads. I think a couple of crazy billboards that are amazing, a little bit cheeky, which is really nice. <laughs> yeah. So how did you go about communicating it, like getting it out there? And how much money did you need to invest on marketing and ad spend as opposed to actually getting the product made and delivered? And how did you go about that? 
So the way we approached it is similar to how we approached kind of the, like the four hour deliveries. We wanted to like, re- like rethink how we do marketing. So when we first started, it was very much just like user generated content. We'd like, we'd, we'd ask people um, just after they ordered the mattress, we'd send them an email just before it gets to the house saying, hey, would, would you film an unboxing and we'll give you a $25 Coles Meyer card. Um, and we'd use that, then we'd ask them if it was good to use that in social media. So we'd use that as like newsfeed ads to make it look like that everyone had koalas in, in, um, in newsfeeds. So when we first started, we did it very kind of cheap, just user generated content for the first few months. And then as we got bigger and our, our marketing budget got bigger, we, again, didn't want to do traditional kind of um, PR or traditional kind of media. Um, and we've always done everything ourselves. So mm-hmm. one of the things that we have across our business is um, we do everything in-house. So we have an in-house creative agency that we build ourselves or team, um, engineering, all media buying is in-house, uh, all performance media is in-house. Uh, and it's something that we, we really like, we think if we become experts at, like there's nothing stopping us because we learn so much and we grow so much. And we, we, we don't do marketing the same. Like, like I said, we... We do billboards purely so we can use them on Facebook and create PR. We don't do them so we, people can see them on the, on the road. Like the one in Ikea, not many people drive past there and see that, but... I didn't even know where it is. Yeah, yeah, it's in <laughs> But I've seen it everywhere. <laughs> yeah, so we use that as... At, yeah, and we've done that a few times and we've got like a repeatable process now. That's probably our fifth billboard we've done where it's gotten like nationwide PR. Um, and we don't do PR. We don't have any PR agencies. We just, we don't do PR. We think that like... One, people don't want to write about a block of foam. Uh, <laughs> and two, like new age PR is doing stunts and doing things that people will like to write about. So that's how we've kind of thought about it. And like we have, and now we spend quite a bit of money on advertising, but everything we do across all channels is quite, we try to against the grain. So our radio ads, if you've heard them, we talk very slow and we like, it's just, we talk about really weird things that you wouldn't <laughs> normally hear on the radio. Yeah. And every medium we do, we try and do the opposite. We just did a TVC uh, recently uh, and we thought, well, people have, people have been doing TVCs the same for 20 or 30 years and we thought, who does video content the best? And we're like, YouTube stars. They do. They, 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 they pump out the best content and they're the best at like looking at analytics so um, one of our latest TVC campaigns uh, is literally, it's a guy standing in front of a mic and, it, and the way it's cut, it looks like it's a YouTube video. You know, it has those weird cuts. Oh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And we studied it and we made it for like, like $10,000 a TVC. Uh, we got quoted like 180000 But the fact that we studied YouTube videos and studied how like the new age of people consume content blew people away. Mm. And no one, do, no one does that. And no one, everyone's just like, oh, we'll go to an agency and we'll just get a TVC with, I don't know, some actors or something that's yeah. doing something <laughs> generic and it's going to cost us two hundred grand for yeah, we did it for like under ten thousand um, dollars, and we did it the way that which makes people think about it differently. Yeah, that's amazing. I think um, for me as a business owner, one of the things that I found most inspiring about you guys that is really clear throughout everything you do and all the touch points you have with uh, the community is that you just don't do things how they've always been done, and you're not scared to do something different because you do get bombarded with all this information of like this is the way you do things. And mm. as a as a new business owner, you're trying all the time to find out what the right way is, what's the key to unlocking, you know. The one and, and making $13 million in one year. But for you guys, it hasn't been doing anything conventional. It's just been like, I'm just going to look at the audience and make a common sense decision and like screw everything else that everyone thinks. Yeah. Just test and learn for us. We just do it like for our creative team, they do about two or three videos a week. A week, And we, everyone only sees like the, the one or two that kind of make it to the to the surface, but there's a lot of bad stuff we do. Um, <laughs> no one sees it. There's some shocking videos we've done. You like, should release them as like bloopers. <laughs> oh, there's some bad radio ads. We've been pulled from radio a few times, had a few ad standard complaints. Oh. Like, we get in trouble a little bit. Um, that means we, you're doing something good though. It is, yeah. One of the guys on my marketing team says, if you're not offending people by 11 a.m., you're not doing marketing right. Um, <laughs> nice. which, which is very controversial. Um, but we just do a lot and we try and do as much as we can. We, we're never stuck on one demographic, so we'll do like a, a month of just like AM radio. And we'll yep. change our messaging to be a bit older and do like AM radio ads, um, just to switch it up a bit. Yeah. Or then we'll sponsor like small soccer teams or we'll do like stuff that's completely different. We're in like doctor waiting rooms at the moment. We're oh, doing, wow. Yeah, we're in urinals at the moment in pubs in Sydney. <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah, and um, like elevated. <laughs> like, do we, we, every, every month we try and like just go different. the weirdest media we can find and let's just buy it. Yeah, nice. That's amazing. Such a cool approach. And it shows. It means, you know, koalas everywhere. Everywhere, literally. <laughs> So you've clearly had some incredible highlights along the way. What are some that stand out to you as like the win moments or, you know, those ones that, that kind of pinch me? Yeah, I don't know. It's a bit, um, me and my co-founder are very much aligned in the sense where like we're, we've never done anything good yet. We're always like, we're always looking for the next kind of thing. So we like, we're very harsh on each other. Um, do you I, stop and celebrate? Or do yeah, you, we do. I think yeah, like good. we passed the $100 million mark like <sighs> two months ago. Congratulations. So we're like, that was, that was a good... 
That's we, insane. Yeah, it was like just before our third birthday too, so we thought it was quite quite impressive. Um, That's for just huge. under three years. But um, yeah, I don't know. Just kind of like we've like at, just think about our customers and the amount of good feedback we get. Like we go through every now and then, look at it, and it's just, it's, it amazes us. We have fifteen thousand like positive reviews and like thirteen thousand of them are five star mm. um, and just comparing that on a global scale it's just it's crazy and we've got like over 120,000 customers happy customers who just love our brand and it's really good seeing when we have when, when we have like something controversial on our Facebook and just seeing all our uh, customers back us up and defend us oh that's uh, cute which is it's, it's really cool because um, we don't have to have we do have customer service like going through ads but we don't need to anymore like if we do like a controversial ad like the Ikea one we just let our, our, our kind of our customers go for it but yeah there's, there's a lot of things and we've so we've um, just passed a million dollar um, mark of donations to wildlife courses wow. um, so koalas and we, we now adopt turtles for our sofa so that was a really good uh, achievement and some of the projects we've done are amazing so we, we're building like huts for, for turtles up in northern Queensland so when they, they lay their eggs they can have babies in there um, so Mitchell's up there a few weeks ago um, tagging turtles and yeah some of, some of all the wildlife stuff we've done is just it's really good and to see what we've done and the impact when we first started we didn't start with WWF we are with WWF now uh, we started with Port Macquarie Koala Hospital and we didn't kind of warn them how much money we'd be giving them because it's <laughs> And they were just like inundated with just like, it was crazy. And they was like, we don't know what to do with all this money. Like, Thank you so much. And it was like, were they here? It was, it was a really good feeling, like going there and seeing like how much we're actually doing. Like we changed the hospital basically. And um, we've like bought up land up in, up in Byron, the conservation area for koalas. And that's the kind of stuff that gets me and Mitch out of bed. Um, yeah. We're not driven by money at all. We're yeah. just driven by making a difference. So Yeah, and the impact that you have made is so measurable and visible for... You know, it is an Australian icon now. Yeah, you're, and you're just looking after Australian animals. Yeah, and just even like in like our material choices and our products, we're using tensile um, instead of cotton in, in our sheets, and a lot of brands are starting to use tensile now, and like just kind of changing the way people buy furniture. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, that's kind of makes makes us happy. I think another thing when you do have like rapid success like that, that you know you didn't know which one was going to be the one, but this one did turn out to be it. That wealth is another thing that people don't talk about a lot, and. I think they shy away from that topic also because, you know, there's a convention that you don't talk about like money, religion and politics and all that kind of stuff. But you've literally come out as one of the richest, a hundred, a hundred richest Australians, which is incredible. You're not even 30 yet. How old are you? 28. 28. Which is a, 28. That is a huge, huge achievement. And does that feel surreal? Like, what is that like? No, we, we kind of hate, a, yeah, we hate that, the, the AFR Rich list. It's you can't get off it. You can't if you want to get off it. They they won't take you off it. So we tried to get off. <laughs> I don't it. think many people would want to get off it. You don't want to. You just it just rings a steep. Like we we don't we we like because we're from both from Byron. We're both from very humble kind of families. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a few people in like Sydney who just like love that and stuff like that. We start shy, shy away from it. Um, yeah. We still wear like Connies and stuff every day. Like we don't dress in suits. Like we we, we don't we try and like just think of it as a back thought and. Yeah, we don't. It hasn't changed me at all. I still like hang out with all my friends from home. Like again, like I, I don't live a um, luxurious life or anything. I never. Is that your will. plane landing it's out not, there? I just <laughs> the worst time. It's not my plane. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it hasn't changed us. We, we, we um, again, that's why one of the reasons that we kind of stay away from PR, like personal PR, is that mm. we don't want to be seen as like, or until we actually finish our business and, and actually make an amazing impact. Uh, we don't really want to be like in the limelight. Mm. Another thing uh, I guess we had on a couple of weeks ago was Emma Isaacs, the founder of Business Chicks. And one of the things that she says often is more moves, less announcements. Yeah. And that was a really different kind of, like, for me, it felt like it came out of left field because business owners are always announcing because you're trying to, you know, push your product and help your brand grow. But I was like, wow, we do spend a lot of time announcing stuff and yeah. not just like focusing on doing the things Yeah. and stepping back from it does mean you can have bigger impact and not just draw the attention to you as a business person yeah but i can't even imagine like coming into that much money at such a young age even if it's not your your core focus you'd have to do something with it so who teaches you how to do that like do you invest or you know how how do you manage that kind of change in your life at such a young age yeah, well, I think just like as like entrepreneurs kind of do, is just like they read a lot of books. They 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 kind of get smart, and I'm very big giving back to the, like the startup community. Um, so I spent about three and a half years at Fishburners, which is a Australian co-working space in, in Sydney, um, and just helping like companies out, looking at investing in companies, and kind of like putting money to use rather than like 
I would never, I probably would never buy a house, like things really? like that. Really? Yeah. It's, wow. It, yeah, because um, yeah, and I'd rather put it back into things like that. It makes it, and it's more exciting. Yeah. Um, money comes and goes, but like if you're not putting it something like buying a house, they're like yeah, it might give you a long term kind of view on, on wealth, but like if it doesn't make you exciting or putting your money to use, I don't think it's it's worth it. Yeah. It's a great attitude. The next segment is called NATA. So this is where the challenges come in, like the things that get in. Obviously, you're living a life now where you get to yay all day and do something that really makes you happy and that you're creating impact where you want to and you're using all the sides of your entrepreneurial brain and innovating all the time. Anna to the size where you can do some of the really cool shit that you really want to do. But what are some of the things that get in the way of you? Uh, enjoying your life or, or achieving your happiness. Like mattresses and tech make me kind of think about sleep quality. And I know you guys are going to start doing some stuff in that area. But for yourself, is a big challenge for you running a big business and getting enough sleep? Like, or to switching off, having downtime? Do you ever need that? Do you ever want it? <laughs> um, yeah, I think, I mean, we've gotten better, me and my co-founder. Like when we first started, we worked seven days a week, every, every week, the first year or two and then now as we're getting bigger we've got almost 90 staff so a lot of people to do a lot of things um you still find yourself up late at night like worrying about something like either it's launching new market new products um we we're getting a lot better like i think probably if you asked me probably like 12 months ago we've been like oh i'm just getting no downtime um mm. but then again like it i like I don't watch TV or anything like that, so you never catch me like kind of doing things like that. I always think there's something to do, um, <laughs> which is a bad mentality, I guess, in a sense. But yeah, I think it's just like kind of like always wondering. You start worrying about your staff a lot, and like mm. kind of worrying about like how they're going, like will we get through, like investment, like. And as you, as you kind of get bigger, the money you're raising gets five times bigger, so that like the, the stress is five times as much. You're like, well, I'm about to lose like X amount of money if it doesn't go through. Mm. Um, so it's like exponentially on a path that's like more stressful it's yeah. very hard to just like <laughs> oh yeah so if i just turn the business down and make less money it'll be less stressful so um but it's just like getting more people in and what we've learned is just getting stronger like advisors in yeah. and stronger people in to help us um but yeah just working a lot is kind of our biggest challenge and what about time management even within the business do you have any hacks for like fitting things in or do you have a pa or do you have like scheduling software like what kind of helps you get through your your day uh i'm a bit of a like Productivity junkie. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like nice. most Doesn't kind surprise of, me. Yeah, most kind <laughs> of um, entrepreneurs. So I do a lot of like strange things, I guess. Uh, like a big believer of like Pomodoro techniques. So it's like, you know, Pomodoro every yeah. 25 minutes. Yeah. So I'll do like, and I'll like, yeah, it's very nerdy, but I'll like break my day up into like how many Pomodoros I can do in a day and then use it as like units of work. So like I'll set an hour aside or two hours aside or three hours and say I can get 3.6 Pomodoros in or something. And then like <laughs> yeah. I can forecast how much work. I'll wake up at like six in the morning or 5.30 uh, and do an hour of work. But the first thing I do is just get through all my emails in the morning and then go to the gym. Um, yeah. And that's a good technique, which I've learned. And then just like, a, it's a range of things of like making sure that I only check my email twice a day and that's for half an hour. Like don't have emails on my phone. Oh, wow, um, that's big. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of the best things is like just turn emails on your phone off. Um, and, only, and don't always check your email. Only check it like once or twice a day. Yeah, I need to get um, better at that. Yeah, and then using <laughs> then doing like inbox zero as well. Big believer of inbox zero. So making sure I try and get to zero as much as possible. Oh, and, my God. Nick has like 29,000 emails. Oh, does he? Yeah, and he's like, I'm like, how do you know when there's a new email? He's like, because it goes to 29,001. Oh, like that I, gives I me anxiety. anxiety. Yeah, anxiety. <laughs> Same. I'm a zero, zero, yeah. Yeah. <gasps> but yeah, I always just like kind of like auditing my calendar, making sure I'm doing things the right way, uh, or just finding new ways to do it um, because there's always better ways to do things. And speaking of anxiety, do you get anxiety or, you know, another thing I talk about a lot is self-doubt. Do you get when you're making big decisions now with a lot of stakeholders and a lot of impact in the community on on everything that you decide, do you sort of get in that headspace where you face self-doubt about your decisions or you have a freak out about like, keeping it all afloat or or even just in yourself you know do you have that kind of or when you do speaking gigs or um you know big presentations to boards or whatever you do do you get that kind of fluttery feeling of like oh can I do it am I good enough you know even talking about before I think a big thing with ambitious people is that they aren't really ever they don't really feel like they've made it yet even Mm. when in everyone else's eyes they've made it 10 times over so being hard on yourself like that you know how does that all play out in your mind um, me and Mitch, my co-founder, are really good at kind of just like, we just get it. Like, we'll look at each other and go like, we can do this. Or, and because we've been through like some pretty like very hard times over the last three years, it hasn't always been good times. And just like from my previous business as well, like being sued, like going through so many credit cards through previous business. I think I've done a lot of things and like 
growing up that I'm just like, well, it can get worse. Like, it, it can always be worse. When I got sued and, like, I had no money and I was living on a couch and stuff like that, like, mm. my whole family got sued. I was, like, pretty down. And that was to a point where I was like, I absolutely hate everything right now. Um, I always look back at that and, like, it was pretty easy. Not easy, but, like, I, just, I started again, a complete slate. Um, and I always think with, like, big decisions, especially around the businesses, if we lost everything tomorrow, I probably wouldn't be angry. I'd just, like, oh, start again. At least I'd learn everything. And it's all about learning. Yeah. Um, so I'm never, I'm never fearful of the business um, dying tomorrow, even if it never did or losing it. Um, I have no fear around that because I, like, I know that I've learned everything today. I can just do it again. Yeah. Um, so that kind of helps a lot. And yeah, me and Mitch just kind of help ourselves through. And again, it comes back to us being really good friends and we like to talk each other through it. So Yeah, I think having good business partnerships can be is, the yeah. key or, yeah. or the failure. And what about navigating that relationship? Like I know with Nick, because we're also life partners, you know, it adds a whole level of complexity to it, but you do have to really fall into a groove as business partners. And there are times when sometimes it is really challenging to have another person that you're around all the time, you're making all the same decisions. So do you guys have, um, you know areas that are challenging for you or do you have sometimes when you do spend too much time together or, or you don't spend enough time together and do you bump heads like how do you navigate that kind of thing yeah i think like any relationship it, it's, it's going to be tough especially during business when there's a lot of money involved and decisions and yeah we've gone through like our, our tough times and our good times but i think we're better than ever now um and that's purely because we just learn how to work with each other and we spend a lot of time in like how do we like approach decisions how do we um yeah, how do we work through things? If we, like, can't agree on anything, like, who to use for a mediation? Um, yeah. How much time should we spend with each other outside? And we went through a tough time at one point when we weren't kind of hanging with each other outside. We are just purely, friend, um, like, business partners. And that's when we're, like, we just, like, well, hey, let's just start, like, hanging out again. And we just spent, like, weekends <laughs> again. Like, we're, like, back in where we started. Just, like, bring it back to the first six months when we just spent every day together that was like the best time and so every time we always get an issue we're like alright let's just start spending more time with each other and we'll go away and we'll just like spend a weekend together or um, which is good you need time away from the business especially if it's someone who you've met before the business yeah so true so that actually brings me to our last segment which is called play TA so that's everything that's your identity outside of what you do. And I think one thing that has happened in this day and age, the pace of life is so fast. We're all about achievement and productivity and output. And even just the fact that when you go to a social event, the first thing you say after your name is what you do. We all identify each other and put each other in boxes based on what we're achieving and our output. And I think a lot of us define our value by our productivity as well, which makes it very, very hard to switch off and very hard to just be a person outside of that. So what is your identity outside of work? If, and do you have one? Like you mentioned before that you don't watch TV, which I was like, whoa, how do you survive? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, going away and getting away from reception and putting your phone away. I know you went to Dan Camp recently, which I was so bummed I couldn't go to, but just getting out in nature with mates. What do you do to sort of unwind and separate yourself from work? What are your go-to activities? Yeah, so I think um, when the business first started, it was just like business, 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 business. Like there was no time for anything else. Um, but I think like growing up surfing, like trying to get back in the water, I think is one of my main priorities. But even taking up like golf, I think, is something that relaxes me at the moment. So trying to learn with mates. But yeah, going back to kind of like what you did as a kid. So I played piano my whole life. So I'm trying to get back into piano again oh, and nice. like do things that will kind of just get me away from um, the screen or because I spend X many hours in front of the screen at the moment. But um, yeah, I hate the whole like when you meet people in public that the second thing you talk about is your job. Like mm. I've been in situations a lot where I just say I work at Coles. <laughs> Have you really? I just can't be bothered <laughs> talking about like just as like a social experiment. No, I just like <laughs> or just to avoid just, the whole conversation. I speak about it every day, like yeah. seven days a week, and then you speak to someone, you go, oh, I did koala, and it's like, oh, I've got one. Of you. Oh, and it's like, oh, how did you start the business? It's like, oh my god, like so it's, you say coals, and no one asks. Yeah, they're like, oh, yeah, cool. And it's a good, it's a good litmus test with um, females as well. Yeah, <laughs> to see if they'd still go for you. Yeah, say <laughs> so working coals, and like, oh, okay, bye then. That's yeah. cool. <laughs> Want to talk to you anyway. Actually, since starting the podcast, because this is the segment that I want to concentrate on the most, because this is the stuff you don't often hear about, I've been doing it when I go out trying to avoid asking people what they do. Yeah, like, I think it's, yeah, it's kind of it's yeah, because it's a challenge, especially if someone's like, I feel sorry for the people who um, say they just lost their job or they're not happy where they work, and mm. like that's a very confronting thing to go out. Like some people might not even want to go out because they get asked that question. And mm. Yeah, it's, it's, it shouldn't be the, the norm. No, and so I've, it, you actually have to get really creative with other things to talk about other yeah. than your jobs. And even when I left law, I found that we spoke about our jobs. We were already there like 20 hours a day, but all we could speak about was how much we didn't like it. And yeah. once I left, I'm like, I don't have anything in common with you anymore now yeah. that we're not complaining about our jobs. Like yeah, there's nothing yeah. else to talk about. Um, 
But another thing is, you know, often mums will say, oh, I'm just a mum. Like when you yeah, ask them just. what you do, I'm like, no, you're not just a mum. You're raising a human. But so I try and ask other questions like, what do you like? What are your hobbies? Or what have you done this weekend? And it's, it always brings out such better conversation. Yeah. Not that what you do for work and how long you've been there and then yeah. what you do next. And... It's like that meme for Uber drivers when you get in an Uber and you're like, don't do it, don't do it, don't yeah, do yeah. it. How long have you been Ubering yeah. for? It just yeah. comes out. Yeah. I set expectations up with Uber drivers sometimes. I'd be like, look, mate, not ready for a conversation or feel like one. Yeah. Like Good. Yeah. Because otherwise, sometimes you just end up in it's that. It's an awkward, like, I know you, you want five stars and I'll give you five stars. Yeah, but, but don't ask just me. Just don't ask. Yeah, you'll get four if you ask. I find that too. Sometimes I'm like, no, yeah. I'm not doing it just because yeah. of that. And so, in terms of happiness and joy, do you get happiness from your work? Or, you know, if you had no time or money constraints or requirements, is this exactly what you'd be doing? Or is there something else that in an art, you know, in a parallel universe you might be doing? Um, like I said earlier, we get happiness from like the output of what we've done. So with like um, all the wildlife stuff we've been doing, conservation and kind of making an impact on the world, I think me and Mitch really enjoy. Um, I mean, I'm not driven by money, so like I'd be doing this probably without it. Yeah. Um, but I think what I'll probably end up doing more is more around like tech and more like um, tech around making the world a better place, around mm. like um, scaling up infrastructures or, or businesses that I think it's the norm that businesses should all be doing some sort of adoption program or not. Like it's just this very small percentage of what you make mm -hmm. um, it makes such a big impact and it's very hard to even get and just the other benefits of that of making your business be more trustful like there's so many things to that that businesses just look past because they're like oh I need to make my profit this year or mm -hmm. um, but yeah I'd probably I get a hell of happiness from helping people um, so helping other entrepreneurs or like mentoring people and just like I've spent a lot of my time growing up um, probably from 16 to 22 just doing free stuff for people so like free like doing websites for free people couldn't afford it um, because I knew karma, I'm a big believer of karma. Um, and I knew yes. that karma would always come back. And I did a lot of help for people for free. Mm. Um, and I think it's just like that makes me feel good. And you've probably had that come back to you as well through various mentors or helpers or whoever else has given back to you yeah. and in your community as well. Yeah. And in, in terms of mentors or, um, you know, getting help from other business owners, uh, you mentioned there's an incubator program that you guys are participating in with a couple of other businesses. Yeah, that's for... Um, for staff coming up through through um, who are going to do an MBA, um, so us in Canberra and uh, through, through Startmate, so they want to do a uh, a program where um, kids will, oh, kids sorry um, <laughs> says the twenty eight year old yeah. <laughs> I, know. I know people who want to have an experience working in a startup, um, so they come work for us for for three months mm -hmm. uh, and they go to another startup and we we'll do a program through that. So kind of fostering um, more entrepreneurs in Australia. I spend a lot of time in the US and. It's just the vibe over there is just so different. Everyone just wants to be an entrepreneur. Everyone wants to start businesses and they have such good culture. Whereas in Australia, it's very hard and tough to find people with like, who have that drive yeah. um, because there hasn't been that many strong success stories in Australia. That it's a smaller really... market as well. It's so hard. It is, but even like there is, regardless of like, it is a small market, but in terms of like, even what we've done in a market that's been like traditionally small, um, there's so many verticals that people could be disrupting. Yeah. Um, but it's not widely accepted as a good thing. Like you don't learn about it at school. Like it's very tough. Like um, I had to do IT at TAFE because my high school wouldn't do IT and like they weren't tech focused and things like that. So yeah. What would you suggest for budding entrepreneurs out there in terms of getting more resources or support or information or helpers or mentors? Like are there any resources that you would recommend or that you mentor through or how do you find people that you've traditionally helped? Um, going to like a really good, like if you're in a city like like Sydney, all of them have it. It's like a good co-working space and just like, just start talking to people, go to networking events, but don't go there to try and network, go there to just have a <laughs> chat, just go, just meet people. Yeah. Uh, when I first moved to Sydney um, a few years ago, I knew basically no one. Uh, I, I moved down here and just like slept on my friend's couch and worked at Fishburners and just sat in the middle and just started meeting people. And I knew no one, I just worked late and then just met so many people, met so many connections and you surprised what you know just having a beer with someone. And I was just, I was one of those guys who, I was just a friendly guy and I got, I got to meet everyone I could and all the mentors I could um, just by being staying back and having a beer with someone. Yeah, um, just having a chat. Just, yeah, just find your local co-working space and just start going to meetups and yeah, it's probably the best way to do it. And what about looking after yourself in between all of it? You mentioned you go to the gym, which is a really good thing that you make time for that because for me in the first year of business, that just went, <laughs> it's come back slowly. Yeah. So what do you do for food and exercise? Yeah, so we try and be quite healthy, um, both me and Mitch, uh, my co-founder. Uh, it's tough in an office where 
it's just we get like donut time every day <laughs> and it's just like yeah. cookies and chocolate and we, and we give free food to our staff so there's just like food everywhere <laughs> i'm just gonna um, come and work for koala <laughs> yeah and we've got like dogs everywhere it's just like it's a crazy workplace <laughs> um but yeah we we uh, one of the main things for like um even personal performance in, in like both business sense and also like outside of that is literally your health um and we're very strict on like what we not very strict but we try to be very strict on like what we eat going to the gym every day like running um, getting into doing like doing like marathons and stuff like that. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, so it's kind of like we always try and make sure that like you have a drive outside of kind of just your business, whether that be like a fitness goal. So yeah, I want to do Rottnest Island swim with Maddie next year. Amazing. Or verse, Ma- verse Maddie next year. Yeah. With slash verse. Verse, yeah, if he's listening. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Verse Channel 10. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I want to start training for that. But yeah, I think just like we, we, we want to always make sure that we're doing stuff outside. And like you just can see the benefits. Like we've all been through a period where we just like, you slack off a bit. Yeah. Um, and you just feel bad and you work late. Uh, there's nothing better than like waking up, just feeling good. Yeah. Um, do you have any bad habits? Any vices? Bad habits. <laughs> yeah. I mean, everyone's got bad habits. Um, probably just like on the same topic of the conversation I just had, probably bad habits is like always eating bad food if it's at, if it's at work. Yeah. Like it's just, there's always... Just in front of you. Yeah. Everyone has this like cake thing with me at work, like, because I, I love cake. Um, so everyone always buys me cake. Like every birthday, we have birthdays like once a week or once every couple of weeks and they always buy cakes for me and every time I meet up with a team... That was buy me a cake. I'm like, come on, guys. And I you get, have to eat it. I, right? I get real angry, but I still eat it. Um, so How can to, you be angry while you're eating cake? Oh, it's a love-hate relationship. <laughs> yeah, you're like rocking back and forth in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, yeah, probably just like work too much sometimes and I have to like catch myself and pull myself back in. But I think that's probably the worst one. And what about your social life? Like your love life? Do you make time for it or has it just been like backseat? Uh, it's, it's comes and goes. But yeah, no, nah, weekends I was like... I still like to spend, I have a very like social life with my friends. So I still like trying to spend like my Thursday, Friday, Saturday, like at least doing something with friends and making sure that I'm catching up with my mates, especially because a lot of them are getting older. Some having kids, some are moving home and like everyone's slowly moving back to Byron. So yeah, um, the gradual re-migrate. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like trying to make sure that I don't just be the last one in Sydney um, <laughs> is a challenge and something that I don't want to do. But yeah, always making time for friends. Yeah. What are some of the coolest people that you've met along the way? I'm sure you've made new friends and made new networks just from being out in the industry and like achieving so many cool things. Who are some of the coolest people that you've got to spend time with? Interesting. Um, yeah, tough one. I'm trying to think who's what's the definition of cool. Um, <laughs> well, obviously Jose, your vacuum cleaner. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the states, when I go over there, I get to meet some pretty like like very successful businesses. Um, so guys from some of the biggest businesses that I've, I've ever kind of dreamt of meeting um i've kind of got to meet and then in australia like again like we stay pretty far out of the pr kind of space like we're just heads down at the moment so um i mean we do meet like the occasional people at all events and stuff like that um mm. especially around the awards we win yeah but like my favorite people i meet i really like the, the unsung kind of heroes I mean, like entrepreneurs so meeting someone in like an entrepreneur who you'd never know about but it's just built like an absolutely amazing business like for me that's the coolest thing ever yeah um i'm not out to meet like anyone famous i don't really think that's like a i look not wouldn't say i look down on famous people but i like yeah it's not a marker of the yeah yeah the, like i'll go to a, an event overseas in new york just to meet one person who like doesn't have an instagram or facebook account but just know <laughs> that he's an absolutely amazing human being yeah um that's kind of impressive for me yeah and being so young, I'm sure, you know, I can't believe you've fitted in like five lifetimes worth of stuff in, in your 28 years. What are some of your bucket list items? I think some of my bucket list items is like kind of going to the US, I think is one of my biggest ones. Um, like living there? Like, or yes, taking the business the there? business. So I think everything I've learned today has kind of been, there's always like the biggest market for e-commerce is, is the US and we're, we're going to launch there next year. So oh, how exciting. Yeah, so I've been there a few times the last few months kind of just scoping out um we've got like an investor over there as well so uh, i think one of the biggest things will be next year when we move to the u.s so move to the la launch koala in the u.s um and then launch in new york but that's probably the number one thing on my list at the moment it's yeah. basically like everyone always says that we'll never we'll never do well in the u.s and everyone always talks down australian businesses going over there but like we've done enough research now to prove that like we will do well yeah um so that's kind of my number one thing and then like actually i've never been like to europe or like done like extensive travel. Uh, really, yeah. I see you as such a traveler. I don't know why. Oh, I go like business. Yeah, like, okay. I, I, like for business, I go a lot. So I go to US like every couple of months and go to Japan a lot because we're in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
when I was 21, I was supposed to go like around the world, but I thought it'd be a good idea to start a startup and then haven't stopped. <laughs> yeah. Um, haven't so, had a minute. <laughs> yeah. So I haven't been to Europe and there's just so many oh, places I'd want to go to Europe and there's just like, there's so many places I want to go, which I haven't had the chance to. So um, I think that all comes like in my probably early 30s or something or yeah. if you ever sell koala. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things because I just haven't really done. Oh, you've got to get on the travel bandwagon. Yeah, yeah. Especially um, with a curious mind like yours, you'll find like... Yeah. yeah, I can't wait. I mean, all my friends are traveling and yeah, it just, it's tough watching. So I'm yeah. them on Instagram, right? especially <laughs> yeah. around like June, July. Oh my God, Europe, I know. In Europe, and just get away from me. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's heaps of traveling things I want to do and start my own charity. There's like do a lot of things I want to do, kind of my own foundation. So yeah, my own probably venture fund as well to invest in businesses. So, mm, so. I was actually going to ask if that was on the cards. Yeah, I think it's probably one of the end goals is like become an investor and kind of nurture young entrepreneurs in Australia and kind of give them that kind of pathway to the US. Um, I see a lot of businesses in the US, I don't want to name names, so quite big ones, and like you actually get under the, the sheets of these businesses and like they're not very sophisticated businesses. They're just in huge markets. Mm. I speak to them all the time and they're like, their biggest challenge is how big the market size is. Mm. Like our biggest challenge is like scaling four-hour delivery, launching 10 products in 12 months, launching five new markets, like trying to do as much as we can in Australia. And most, most startups um, like around our size have to keep finding new markets, um, like localizing or just scaling our team in Japan while looking and trying to launch in South Korea, like all these things that are overlinking. And the US companies I talk to, they're like, oh, yeah, we just can't hire enough people to, to get our growth, to hit our growth. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> yeah. They never a, leave the US. Such and a just, different challenge. Yeah, from like 14 million people on Facebook compared to 298 million people on Facebook. It's, just, it's insane. Yeah. Um, so like kind of like creating a pathway for like young entrepreneurs to kind of have a crack at the US market, mm. um, I think will be probably like one of my end goals. Mm, that's amazing. I have absolutely no doubt that you'll do it. <laughs> Such a go-getter. So just to finish up, what are three interesting things about you that usually don't come up in these kinds of conversations? Tattoos. Okay. I've got some pretty funny tattoos. Oh, yeah. do you? This one. <laughs> oh my God, what is that? <laughs> It's quite funny. Is that a sailboat? Yeah, upside down sailboat. Um, Why is it upside down? So you can see it? Yeah, that's all. Is that tattoos for yourself? No, I did it myself. It's quite funny. You story. did it yourself? Yeah, yeah. We just a needle to it. Didn't have a... All my friends growing up all covered in tattoos, so I had to be a good boy and not do too many. But, but yeah, I was but just draw like, your drunk. Own. Yeah, it was quite a... I mean, it's quite a straight line. It's quite a good boat. How did you even do the ink? It's a really light, uh, it's baby pale blue. blue. Yeah, yeah, it's baby blue. Did you choose that on purpose? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just had a needle. Um, so I had that from there. I've got other tattoos too. I'm not going to show you. Yeah, um, okay. Hidden. Cool. Um, <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> what else? Allergies you've got here? Um, I'm oh, yeah, or I'm, just anything. Like not necessarily allergies, they're just examples. <laughs> any other three things, that, any two other things now that you've shown the, the sailboat that are, you know, different or that don't usually come up, like the real Danny. Um, the real Danny. The real Danny. <laughs> well, I kind of spoke about my, my dark gaming past. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what was your gamer name? Uh, uh, Danny TG. <laughs> It's, it's not as bad as it could have been. It could be bad. I mean, it's not as bad as everyone's top mail address when I'm growing up. Uh, exactly. Yeah, that should be a question you should ask people. <laughs> yeah, what was your... No. <laughs> yes, you're not telling me? No. No, it's bad. <laughs> so LEG was out, so you can probably assume uh, what that is. Yeah, nice. Um, Bit of a loose cannon underneath all that business person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, allergies? Uh, I mean, I'm allergic, uh, fatal allergic to morphine, so... Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so I've got to wear like red. Every time I go to the hospital, I've got to wear like bright red everything and everyone's like care, careful around me. Um, yeah, do you have to wear a thing? I've got like, I'm allergic to sulfur, which is like the antibiotic that they give you in any just oh, yeah, stock yeah, yeah. standard, you know, and I have to wear like a stupid travel Oh, the Medi Alert? Yeah, yes, yes I got given. Yeah, I lost it. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> yeah, so I got like a metal plate all through through there from rugby and I um that's when I kind of found out um, oh. how I was allergic to morphine. And, <gasps> Yeah, I had. I went through like a necklace, nineties. Like was it the dragon? Nineties, nineties. And they had like a bracelet as well. Many alert, lost it. So I have to get a tattoo. It's only oh. a many alert tattoo. Oh, can you draw it same, yourself? Yeah, like, I'll show the tattoo. It's fine. But um, yeah, because if if you, you have a car accident, the first thing they give you is morphine. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so you I, need to get a tattoo on yourself, though. Yeah. Oh my god, I uh, love how you are so responsible and like on the ball with everything else. That one thing. Except like your major health concern. Yeah, except that one thing. Um, uh, oh, they were they were awesome. Yeah. That's why I love that question. <laughs> and since I love quotes so much, what is your favorite motivational quote? Oh, um, there's like I think move move fast and break break things is probably a good one. Or don't ask for permission, ask for forgiveness. 
Yeah. Uh, I think it's probably a good one. For, we always use in our business. Like That's we, such a good one. Everything we do. Um, we're like, just do we get it. permission? Like, nah. We'll get, we'll get away with it. Just say sorry later. Yeah. And billboards get pulled down and ads <laughs> get pulled. But like in the end, um, by that time, we've done our damage. So Yeah, it's gone viral by then anyway. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, thank you so much for your time. This always. has been so interesting. I can't wait to see what Koala does from here on out and to see, yeah, what the rest of the journey is like. Thank you. No, it's been great. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for helping everyone see CA. Yeah. <laughs> no worries. What an incredibly impressive young man with so many achievements already under his belt. I'm hugely inspired by his journey in creating an iconic Australian brand and changing up a whole industry and love how he and the business has stayed a little bit cheeky with a side of loose cannon. <laughs> I can't wait to see what's next from these guys and can't wait to furnish my entire house with koala goodies. And hopefully they come with a little adopted koala. <laughs> I will, of course, include in the show notes all the links to Koala and Danny's own social media so you can check out what they're doing and might pop in as well some of the pictures of the IKEA billboard we were talking about. I don't have a picture of his blue tattoo that was DIY, but hopefully (laughs) there'll be enough other interesting stuff for you. If you haven't already subscribed, please do hit the subscribe button now. I would love to keep you updated with all of the exciting people we have in our pipeline for CZA. We've got an exciting couple of weeks ahead. I still just don't even know how we're going to keep getting better and better but somehow we are (laughs) and of course please do take a screenshot right now of this episode and share one of your biggest learnings or one of your biggest takeaways because once a week for each episode the best share and reflection will win one of the cca quote of the day flip books which have been going incredibly well and again thank you so much to everyone for your love and support they have been flying out the door i've hardly got any left somehow which is so exciting but just again uh, another example of the fact that you really should just go for whatever makes you yay. Hope you're having an amazing day, getting ready for the silly season, and hope you're seizing your yay.